BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like when the tailgate party shows up at your house after the big win. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this could sideline your savings. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Conair is spreading love and celebrating women, not just on International Women's Day, but every day with Conair Girl Bomb. Girl Bomb is their new line of powerful hair removal tools made just for us. Yeah. Whether it's the silky smooth skin or the empowering confidence boost you get, Conair Girl Bomb is here to amp up those positive vibes with some self care. So, to all the beautiful women out there, keep shining, keep being you. And treat yourself to some Conair Girl Bomb magic. You deserve it. Available at Walgreens. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. This is the Anxiety Bites podcast, and I am your host, Jen Kirkman. Welcome to another episode of Anxiety Bites. I am your host, Jen Kirkman. Well, today is the second to last episode of Anxiety Bites. If you get separation anxiety thinking about that, let's think of it as the end of season one. Will there be a season two? I don't know, but I have to be quite honest. I do not have the bandwidth or time, I guess is another way to put things. We used to just call it time. Now everyone calls it bandwidth. I guess bandwidth means more than time. Either one. I don't have bandwidth or time to do another season right now because of I have a full-time writing job and will be pretty tied up for the next year. But let's not worry about what's to come and what's not because none of us know. But for right now, let's call this season one and it's coming to an end. As we always knew, there would be 46 episodes of season one. Maybe you didn't, but I did. And this week is a solo episode. Next week, we have Dr. Julie Smith, who wrote a book called Why Has Nobody Told Me This Before, which I thought would be the perfect guest and book and vibe for the last episode. And I'll tell you more about that next week during the actual episode. But for this week, I thought we could 
have a bit of a potpourri of an episode, but with a focus of ADHD. Pun intended, get it, focus ADHD. I have a few listener emails to read and some thoughts about this podcast. And then I really do want to get into a little more talk about ADHD. So let's just start there. You know, when I started this podcast, I wasn't that in touch with my own ADHD. I was diagnosed in my mid-30s. And I have to be honest, I didn't really know much about it. I, I didn't quite relate to having it. I was told at the time by someone I lived with that they thought I had it. I was seeing a psychiatrist already for medication for anti-anxiety, for depression, to go over my phobia of flying. And this doctor was not surprised that I had been diagnosed with ADHD. And I think there's something that goes on sometimes between a doctor and a patient where a patient might say a symptom. They might say a disease name instead of a symptom. And the doctor then treats the disease, but symptoms are never talked about. And so I really didn't get solutions for relief. And I didn't talk about it with my talk therapist either. It, it just seemed like something you medicate or you don't. And because I didn't know exactly what ADHD really was besides inability to focus or pay attention and being hyper. And I honestly don't totally suffer from the inability to focus. And I was basing that on that I've always been quite successful at whatever job I've had whether it's being an administrative assistant or whether it was being a writer on staff. I was successful in the sense that I always paid attention. I was always the most organized. I mean, it, 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 on the surface, you would not think that I had ADHD. Maybe hyperactive, sure, but not in the ways that... Like, I was always a loud talker, a fast talker, quick to react but I never thought any of that was ADHD. I never really thought that much about that I did any of that stuff. To me, hyperactivity, I was still thinking about the way they diagnosed ADHD in young children. Specifically, usually this is white boys with, you know, they got ants in their pants, they're jumping around. And I, I rationalized my diagnosis, which was based on a young child's view of what ADHD is or what psychiatrists view ADHD is for children. And thought, well, maybe, maybe I was hyperactive growing up and, you know, but I always took dance lessons. So maybe I got out of my system. I don't know. I just didn't have any idea that everything I was suffering from, all of the ways in which my life was unmanageable, I look back on it now and it seems to fit that I had ADHD. Very untreated. Untreated, not just medically, but more importantly, cognitively. I didn't have tricks and tips and coping mechanisms and just the knowledge of, okay, so this is going to happen to you because of your lack of executive functions in some areas or your dopamine. And so you're going to have to make a big decision to do blah, blah, blah. Now, some of the work I did on anxiety, whether it was spiritual work or a little more cognitive behavior therapy in the sense of my work, you know, with fear of flying phobia, more, more of an exposure therapy thing or cognitive behavior therapy where I would 
tell myself things that weren't true, whether it was, you know, low self-esteem kind of things about myself or doom things about the future. Do I think I legitimately had depression and anxiety? I think so. But whereas I never could have ever wrangled my ADHD without actually knowing the symptoms and wrangling it the way I am now, I think I could have wrangled some of the depression and anxiety if I'd only been properly diagnosed with ADHD and given a toolkit. So it doesn't really matter what I had, what I didn't, because that time is gone now. But the thing, the behaviors and the thought process and the actions I've taken in life that I regret the most or that I can see caused some problems. And I've been very lucky in life. Some of the problems I've caused myself, they've worked themselves out. And I'll give you an example, like certain jobs I've quit, I've been able to go back to. Um, and I looking back on quitting, it wasn't the way I quit. I didn't, I didn't, uh, go, fuck you, I'm leaving. Just certain things where you work a job in writing and you don't re-up your contract for the next year. It's all very paperwork and lawyery and dignified quitting. But the decision was not thought through. It was a little bit rash, even though it seemed thought through. And things like that, where I go, oh, I legitimately made a mistake because I had this inability to critically think in some areas or not make these rash decisions or the way I would just move across the country with, you know, $5 and, you know, get on a train and, you know, and a lot of that can be, maybe I was young, whatever, it doesn't matter. But a lot of things I regret, I go, oh my God, doesn't that go really well with an ADHD symptom? Relationships I regret where it's like I was emotionally reactive, you know, none of the things I worked on that surrounded problems like those have ever brought me much relief. And now I feel for me, getting further into my diagnosis of ADHD, I can see why I did certain things and I can now have better tools in the future. So my point is, so I was diagnosed mid thirties. I bring it up to my psychiatrist. He's like, oh yeah, you know, that makes sense. And we talk a, a little bit about things here and there and but we don't really get too deeply into it because I don't know I'm suffering from it. I don't know. I don't even think to say, so I do this, 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 this. And I don't want to do this, 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 this anymore. Uh, is this ADHD? Well, it just didn't dawn on me that half the things I was doing all the time were ADHD, whether it was trying to accomplish every single thing in one day and feeling bad if I couldn't or burning out so badly from, you know, like there's like an ADHD burnout where you just kind of have to stare at a wall for a day. You know, there's so many, I just didn't know. I thought it was normal. Everyone does this or it's part of your depression and anxiety. So he put me on this drug called Focalin, which is kind of in the Adderall family, but it's not a, uh, it's, it, it's still one of those like drugs, I guess, that's a stimulant, but whereas Adderall is more of a quote, drug in the bad way. Like if you cut it up and snorted it, you would get high, but Focalin like has to be absorbed through the liver. And those kind of drugs are usually, you know, better to take long-term, I guess. I don't know. The point is it didn't do anything for me. Like I literally didn't notice a difference in anything. And at the time I was at a writing job. And again, like I always felt like I had a pretty easy time focusing. I didn't sit daydreaming maybe after hour four, but that's just anyone. 
So, and it made my skin break out really badly. It, it was stimulating something, my sebaceous glands. And, it, and I just went off it. And then we just never talked about it again. I was like, I guess I'll just have to deal with my ADHD. But again, the symptoms I thought were ADHD. I was like, I don't really have them anyway. So as my quote, what I would have called anxiety, uh, maybe like five years ago was ramping up. It wasn't making sense to me because people in my life were saying, you're anxious, you're anxious. And I was like, but I've never been better. Like my career is where I want it to be. I'm happy. I'm completely over my flying phobia. I'm flying by myself to like Australia, you know, and I just didn't understand the feedback I was getting from people. And they didn't have the right language either. And it led me into this, you know, over the past seven years, really drilling down in therapy and with my psychiatrist, really looking at the anxiety I was accused of having, which is certain thought process, uh, certain reactions, certain whatevers. And I mean, I can't tell you the amount of work I've done the past seven years. It's as though I were really someone that just needs to be locked up and thrown away without the key. You know, it's like we did 12-step for it. We did cognitive behavior therapy. We did EMDR. We did, you know, somatic therapy. We did medication. And I was just like, this thing that it just feels like I'm wrong. You know, then we did like all this like shame and trauma therapy. And I'm like, I, I listen, I know a lot of things are trauma, but I don't have big T trauma. And I was like, this whole notion that like, I'm wrong. Like I just exist as a wrong person. Like I'm just, something's wrong with me. Like I never felt it in a deep, like, childhood primal way, the way that like my therapist was making it seem like I was saying it. I just meant like something's off here, you know? And once I, so I, then I talked to my psychiatrist, but he was, he was telling me that he's going to retire. You know, he's like, we've got about a year left together. And I said, I really want to revisit this ADHD thing. So I'd read this book about how ADHD is different in women. And I said, I think half the shit that I do that is habitual now is, is like an ADHD maladaptive coping mechanism. And he's like, oh yeah. And he's like, I'm sorry. I didn't, you know, know you want to talk about this. And it, it was all fine. And we really kind of drilled down on stuff. And I realized, yeah, that's my focus, but that was kind of going on behind the scenes of anxiety bites. And then I started researching it more and reading things and talking to ADHD coaches. And it's just, it's unreal how much I relate. And it just, it's, it's literally taking a deep breath. And I have now different coping mechanisms and different ways I do things like bullet journaling. I don't do it as detailed as some other people, but in the sense that I write things down every day that I need to do. And I have forced myself through writing it by hand instead of typing it in my notes section of there's something about here's what I want to do this week. And here is my daily goals. And to be able to really not have 20 things in a day that I think I can get to, and I may be able to, but I also work a full-time job. So you can't always do that. And then there's just, you know, sometimes you have time to do something, but you're just, you need to zone out for a minute. You might not have the most productive lunch hour in history where you're returning every call and every email. And, you know, it was like, I couldn't even go hang out with a friend if I hadn't completed my to-do list. Well, if I live that way, I'll never see another soul as long as I live, you know? And so really being able to be comfortable with writing five things and, and feeling like that's enough. And 
just, I really can't explain too much, but it's little things like that. Dancing in the morning for three minutes for dopamine. I am medicated. I have Vyvanse and I, I'm not on it right now, but I have taken it. It does work really miraculously for me because it slows me down. It centers me. It focuses me. It does help with the executive function of beginning to look at time management differently um, in the sense that it helps my dopamine so that I can actually motivate to do something, but I have to be already doing that thing. It doesn't make you go write a screenplay. You know, you're, uh, but I, I have to be very careful because at night I've learned that when I would get this insatiable urges, it was always after 6 PM to have like sugar. And, you know, it was like, I almost was like, am I a binge eater? Am I a emotional eater? And I spent two years trying to figure out the underlying emotion of why I'm just so drawn to eating at night by myself that you can be really mis misdiagnosed. ADHD people, because of, I'm just putting it in like quick, easy layman's terms, because of our kind of irregular dopamine, it's dopamine that, you know, look, people are like shooting heroin to feel dopamine for like a second, you know, and uh, it's the feeling you feel when you're in love. But I mean, like normal everyday functioning dopamine, if you're able to throw the laundry in the machine and you're not like, wow, that's fun, but it's not killing you to think of doing it. Like that's because of dopamine, right? And when ours isn't totally regulated, we're, we're, we want, they call it stim. You're stimming. You're looking for stimulation. Some people eat for stimulation. It's not quite the same as eating to cover up emotions. And when I could not find the emotion that I was supposedly trying to cover up, I felt like I was going crazy. I was like, oh my God, I must be so blocked. Oh my. And I'm thinking, how, how could I be this blocked with the years and years of therapy? And I'm so open and willing and I'm doing prayers and meditation in the morning and the gratitude journal and the this, and I'm reading books and I've just been such a seeker. My whole life. And oh my God. And, and you think of people who are really, really blocked and you just, you can usually tell, you know, those people seem just so, um, uh, in, and I mean this in the, in the loveliest way, like just kind of fragile and delicate and like, you know, just like, oh God, you just want to hug them and be like, you've got so much trauma. I'm like, I'm more blocked than those people. And then you find out, Oh, like, yeah, your dopamine levels change at night. And when you have ADHD, you need stim. Oh, well, what do I do? Oh, you find other ways to stimulate your dopamine. Now, before what I was doing was, uh-oh, I'm not hungry in a hunger pangs way. I'm fiending for sugar. Do I drink three glasses of wine? Do I go to the store and get candy? Do I order a pizza? You know, that feeling where it was like, it felt like an addiction where it felt like, I cannot stop thinking about this. And the only way to stop is to give in to the thing I want. And then I go, okay, tomorrow would be different, right? And when you are told that that is emotional eating because you're not feeling something, so I would, okay, I'm going to stop and I'm not going to drink the wine and I'm not going to go get the candy and I'm not going to order the pizza. I'm going to sit and think about my emotions. It was 
torture because there was nothing there. I'm not, we all have emotions. We all have things we don't like deal with at the forefront of our brain at all time, right? But for me, it was just, I need stimulation. I need to trigger the dopamine. It could have been solved as simply as get up and take a walk, turn on some music and dance for three minutes, or just know, oh, this is your ADHD and you're wanting to stick. Even just knowing that, I may not go do a solution-based thing, but knowing it makes me go, oh, get out of here. But when I thought it was emotional troubles, it would almost make it worse because I would think I can't access these emotions and I'm so overwhelmed by that, I got to eat. And so, no, that's just an example of these weird things that are ADHD that look so much like other stuff. And it's tough because you might have emotional eating issues. You might need to really work on them. You might also have ADHD. You know, it's tough when it all kind of feels the same. But there was that moment for me when I went, it's as simple as there is a disorder that is on the scale of being neurodivergent where certain things are overwhelming for you, certain things need a little extra TLC, certain things need a little extra attention, certain things need a little extra handling, and you've got, you kind of kind of go out on your own and do it. And not a lot of psychiatrists who deal in ADHD are as familiar with all the nuance and everything new that's coming out, unless it's their passion and they're sitting there researching it every day. But if they got their degree and they can prescribe, I mean, I don't know many that bother to sit around learning more. That's why for me, uh, I have really enjoyed subscribing to this magazine called Attitude, ADD, get it? And I, I've enjoyed uh, reading what ADHD coaches say, and I'm going to get an ADHD coach. You know, that industry in the ADHD world is is really huge. And I do think for some of us, it can be alongside having a psychiatrist, if you do need a prescription, it is one of the disorders that I find is very kind of DIY in a way in terms of really knowing what you have and what works for you and what doesn't. It's a lot of trial and error. So I wanted to read a few emails because the most popular episode by far that I did was my episode with Kristen Carter called I Have ADHD. And it really was fascinating to me because it was through doing this podcast that I finally realized my ADHD has run my life. And, you know, I'm... I'm it's like not bad or good. It just is. And going forward, I will be identifying that way. For me, I feel like doing this show was was a, a love letter to my anxious little self as a kid where I wanted people to talk about things I never could talk about as a kid because society didn't. And as I did the podcast, I started to realize I don't think I have half the stuff that I'm hearing that people with anxiety have. And then it became very clear you know, I think this ADHD thing is a is my thing. And it does sort of explain certain anxieties and certain lack of anxieties that normally people have with an anxiety disorder. And again, this all this stuff moves around, it can change with circumstance, blah blah blah. So, you know, but for me finding this and really locking into this diagnosis and and kind of looking at everything through that frame has helped me. So, 
This is an email from Kate. She says, I'm listening to your Anxiety Bites episode with Liz Fosslein and found the discussion about anxious fixing particularly interesting. Coincidentally, this article popped up in my newsfeed. Um, and that newsfeed is chore charm bracelets are helping people diagnosed with ADHD stay on track. Kate asks, what do you think of the concept of chore charms? Is it more list ticking, albeit in a different format, rather than taking time to check in with how you're feeling? Or is it a productive way to feel accomplishment? Well, let me look at this article. So this is an article from abc.net.au, so Australian ABC News. And there's a woman named Matilda Bosley, and she's smiling, and she's holding up her wrist, and she has a one of those rubber elastic kind of phone cord looking phone cord, you know, landlines from the 80s, key ring on her arm, a bunch of them. And each one has, instead of a key, a little tag that has a chore she needs to do. So she started using these wristbands to help keep her on track. Each morning, she sets herself up with physical reminders of her tasks in the form of a keychain wrist bracelet known as chore charms with a tag on each one to remind her of a particular task, such as making the bed or taking medication. While she says the rattle that the tags create annoy her, the sound also motivates her to get them off, she says, but she's not allowed to take them off until she actually does it. Part of having ADHD is having to manage her mind, going off on tangents, staying on task, especially when it's a task that's fairly mundane, can be really difficult. I mean, listen, I don't know, but to me, this seems like a legit ADHD solution for Matilda. I mean, there are tasks that we need to get done every day. Taking meds, if making the bed's important to you, then that certainly is something that needs to be done. And, you know, it sounds like these serve as a reminder because things can slip our mind, even the most important thing in the world, all the time with me. I will make my lunch the night before. I will put it in the refrigerator. I will even put a little bag out next to the refrigerator which is my little bag I will put my lunch in and bring to work. And I will forget almost every day, unless I put a note on the front door that says, get your lunch. But then to get me to write the note and stick it on the door, I start thinking, you don't need a note. What are you, 80? You have Alzheimer's, you forgot you made a lunch. You're not gonna forget, just stop. And I'm like, in the time that I beat myself up for having to write a note, I could have written a note. So it sounds like she needs reminders. And then with something like making her bed, it sounds like she needs motivation. She's made a pact with herself that she can't take these annoying things off her wrist until she does the thing. So she does the thing, gets to take the thing off her wrist. I think that's, to me, sounds like a really, for her, that this, I would not want to do this, but it sounds like for her, a really good, for lack of a better word, more interesting word, good way, motivating way of getting her things done. I don't think that, She's doing it instead of sitting with her feelings. I think there are tasks that need to be done and things that need to be remembered. And again, ADHD really affects our executive function. Those things can be almost impossible. So to me, it seems not the same as anxious fixing. Because for me, I know when I'm anxious fixing, my mind will begin to say, oh, you've got a free, you've technically got free time. You're not at work. You're not on any kind of deadline with any of your podcasts, Jen. You know, um, your place is clean. So, you know, you're home for the rest of the night. Do you want to watch some TV? Do you want to 
read a book? Do you want to, hey, you didn't meditate this morning. You want to do that? You want to journal? And I'm like, I'm going to um, go through all my emails. And, you know, I can see it happening. I can see the moment where I can feel that my mind might have a free moment and I fill it up. And I can feel myself doing that. So I think it's a little different than when I need to get something done and I need to motivate myself to do it. We'll be right back. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great conversation. There's plenty to celebrate in March and National Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Jen, thanks so much for your Anxiety Bites podcast and especially the episode about ADHD. When you said that our fellow householders may notice that something may be amiss, even when our coworkers do not, I had an aha moment. Last week, I had a telehealth appointment on done. The nurse confirmed that I have ADHD and now I take Ritalin, which has the lowest risk of interacting with my anxiety medication, which is an SSRI. I agree with you that I wouldn't want to trade in my brain for one that is neurotypical, but the medication plus meditation and exercise equals a calmer me and a happier marriage. Best wishes for the next chapters of your life. Regards, Dana. Jen, I've been a fan 
uh, blah, blah, blah. Just wanted to say thank you for the I Have ADHD podcast because I have finally let myself acknowledge that I tick all the boxes. Been sitting and digesting all the info for a while, but I thought it'd be nice to drop you a word to emphasize that yes, it does resonate with me. I'm a bit shocked and relieved at the same time. And guess what? I'm almost 38, which means I could just put the diagnosis on my birthday wish list and grant it to myself and not feel guilty. All of my life, I was a high-functioning, high-achiever who just started struggling with simple things at some point in life and always thought I was just weird, tired, and goth. (laughs) Well, yes, I am, but that's not the point. I was listening to the podcast, learning that all these glitches in my behavior have actual names and taking notes only later to notice that you've already done that for us on your website. Can't express how much I adore what you do. Yes, if you all go to jenkirkman.com and click Anxiety Bites, you can read the takeaways from every episode in bullet point form. I think I'm finally feeling empowered enough to get a diagnosis because I have a long tick list, thanks TikTok, with a science-based vocabulary and also because it would bring a huge relief to my crazy brain. So thank you. Thanks, thanks, thanks. I did speak to my therapist about it briefly, but she said if I feel something is actually making it difficult for me to function and do normal things in life, then yes, I should get it checked. But how many of us actually rationalize and minimize our ADHD behavior just to not make a big deal out of it? Is it the patriarchy again? Is it all because for our own safety, we don't want to be labeled hysterical, crazy, or unpredictable? So I think that's true. I think for me... I was told, I mean, you know, you're off the first time I tried meds, you're off the meds. I mean, if you feel like your ADHD is getting in the way of your life, we can talk about other solutions. I was like, no, it's not because I didn't know what it was. I had other, I was like, oh, it's the other things getting in the way in my life. Those were ADHD symptoms. Ah, ah, regrets. Jen, when I started Anxiety Bites, oh, that was from Izzy. Uh, Jen, when I started Anxiety Bites and listened to the ADHD episode, Um, People have told me I was ADHD my whole life, but I've never received a diagnosis from a counselor. In school, my nickname was the butterfly, as I have never been in one place for too long. I excel at public speaking and split decision-making where I'm not given time to ruminate, but I struggle with so many other aspects of life. It's brought about pretty severe self-esteem issues when I can't complete tasks or I get overwhelmed. And I was literally in a state of overwhelm when I listened to your podcast. I'm sorry. Listening to the podcast has motivated me to seek advice from a professional and also gave me the self-compassion I needed in that moment. So there you go. And they asked me not to include their names. So I thought I would go over some things that maybe you would want to learn more about ADHD. And I got all of this from attitudemag.com. And I subscribe, which is a paid subscription. So I think a lot of the things I have access to are because I paid for them. So you can get a lot of info for free on their website. So definitely head over there. But if you're looking for what I read, I I think mine is under the the paywall. So pay attention. Um, I know for me, some of the things that I've realized were ADHD symptoms is talking too much. You know, not being able to shut up, talking really fast, talking loud. I've been reactive in relationships. I've uh, felt like I was never good enough. Just in general, um, I felt like I had emotional problems. You know, like I hurled my emotions at people sometimes. I think I dabbled in something called rejection sensitivity dysphoria. And a lot of that has been, thankfully, 
just weed it out of my system by other ways, but truly looking at it, you know, if those feelings come up where I want to react a certain way, now I know, oh, this is part of ADHD and here's what I can do about it. So there are some self-defeating behaviors of ADHD. And one of them is trying to do something all yourself. And that just really resonated with me. Um, you know, there's, there's things where it's like, oh, I can't do that. You know, I can't get an assistant because I, I just need to do it all myself, you know, and or, uh, it, there's just a lot of, I'll just do it all myself. It's easier because I need to do it right now. You know, there's, there's not a lot of before my, you know, learning how to take better care of myself, of course, with ADHD, there was not a lot of planning, right? So if it's like, oh, someday I want to get this for my apartment. It's like, well, I'm just going to do it right now. You know, and then you do something because you need to do it right now, even though you don't need to. And you do it all yourself. And then you waste the time you should have been doing something else. You know, it's it's a lot of that. It's it's like this absolute need to do it right now. And that's that's what I mean by reactivity too. I don't mean like you're hauling off hitting someone, but I just mean you might be having a reaction to your own need to do something. Like it's impulsivity and compulsiveness. But I never felt like I had OCD, but I had like impulsivity. And I think that was always a big, big thing with me. And that can manifest for a lot of people. It can look even like love addiction and things like that. It can look like recklessness, you know, in certain ways. And so that was something that I had to realize is like, oh, like I, I just have impulsivity and it, it can come up in big ways, but it can come up in small ways, like getting an idea. Oh, I might want to, um, take some photos and put them on this wall in my place. And then it's suddenly like, I have to leave the house right now and start taking pictures. Then I have to buy free. And it's like, I was just doing something else, but this urge, like, no, I need to do it now. And it's like, as though like writing it down on a future to-do list and getting excited about it. Oh my God, I figured out what I want to do with that wall. I want to take photos and put them up. Like that wouldn't be satisfying enough. And so when you think about it in ways like that, it's like, oh, how many times have you done that with people, right? Like you fall in love so quickly or you need this right now or just like nothing can wait. And, and everyone's sort of like confused by you're just kind of like spinning around. <laughs> a lot of that is ADHD. So, okay. So there's an ADHD test. Now, again, this is from attitudemag.com. Attention deficit hyperactivity disorder is a neural development disorder, never, sorry, neurodevelopmental disorder that impacts the prefrontal cortex of the brain the area responsible for executive functions, emotional regulation, and impulse control, among other things. Those symptoms may shift and change with age. They rarely go away altogether. So if you had it as a child, you'll most likely have it as an adult. But ADHD in adults looks and acts different than in children. But unfortunately, the clinician's diagnostic criteria, as outlined in the DSM-5, does not differentiate adult versus childhood symptoms which can sacrifice the accuracy of assessment. So there is an ADHD test. It was developed by the World Health Organization. And it's how often do you have difficulty concentrating on what people say to you, even when they are speaking to you directly. And you can answer very often, often, sometimes, or rarely, or never. So there's five options. Very often, often, 
sometimes rarely never. How often do you leave your seat in meetings or other situations in which you're expected to remain seated? Very often, often, sometimes rarely never. How often do you have difficulty unwinding and relaxing when you have time to yourself? When you're in a conversation, how often do you find yourself finishing the sentence of the people you are talking to before they can finish it themselves? How often do you put things off until the last minute? How often do you depend on others to keep your life in order and attend to details? Now, I don't relate to a lot of those. So then you go to, well, there's a female ADHD test symptoms in women and girls. And I know that this is very binary and I'm sorry, I don't mean to exclude um, our trans friends and and non-binary folks. I can only talk about my experience as a cisgendered woman. And so I'm just going from my own experience right now. And I would assume that anyone who fits these symptoms, this, this is an ADHD diagnostic test. I think the reason it's put this way as in women and girls is, again, ADHD diagnoses were usually based on studying young boys. Okay, so is it impossible for you to shut out sounds and distractions that don't bother others? Again, we go very often, often, sometimes rarely, never. Do you start the day determined to get organized and end the day feeling defeated? Ding, ding, me, very often. Do you feel like you're always at one end of a deregulated activity spectrum, either a couch potato or tornado? Me, ding, ding, very often. I literally am that. But it's different than mania. It's not like you're up all night going, you know, it's, it's just you either feel like you're this whirling dervish of a person, good or bad, or you just have to hole up and be by yourself for like a day. Are you called a slob or spacey? Uh, no, but very often, often, sometimes, rarely, never. Are you clueless as to how others manage to lead consistent, regular lives? Ding, ding, very often. Do you feel as if life is out of control and that it's impossible to meet demands? Yes, very often. Do you feel like you're passing for normal, but you're really an imposter? Yes, for me, the top one, very often. Do you hesitate to have people over to your house because you're ashamed of the mess? No, never. Immaculate. That's the one way I'm not an ADHDer. Do you feel overwhelmed at stores, at the office, or at parties? Yes. Does time, money, paper, or stuff dominate your life and hamper your ability to achieve your goals? Me, very often. I get stuck in the nitty-gritty minutia that getting someone to help me with things would solve, and I could have more time to achieve goals um, in work and creativity. And it's a miracle I've gotten far enough in my career um, because I have so often been focused on these little minutia things that aren't important. Do requests for one more thing at the end of the day put you over the top emotionally? Yes, very often. Have you ever been thought of as selfish because you don't write thank you notes or send birthday cards? I think I'm a sometimes on that one. I think there are times in my life where I just cannot comprehend things like that. Uh, do you watch others of equal intelligence and education pass you by? Do you despair of ever fulfilling your potential and meeting your goals? Do you shut down in the middle of the day feeling assaulted? Yes. Do you have trouble balancing your checkbook? Do you feel that you have better ideas than other people but are unable to organize them or act on them? Is your time and energy taken up with coping, staying organized, and holding it together with no time for fun or relaxation? I'm feeling that one. So that's the last question. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. 
Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Chasing Life. Three out of four U.S. adults are considered overweight or have obesity. 75% of Americans. Dr. Fatima Cody-Stanford. Our weight is one factor that plays a role in our health. But by itself, it doesn't give us the full story of who we are. We have to look at our full person. Listen to Chasing Life, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great Thank conversation. You. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Listen to this quiz. This is rejection-sensitive dysphoria test. This is another. um, It's rejection-sensitive dysphoria, or the extreme emotional pain linked to feelings of rejection and shame, commonly affects adults with ADHD. Use this self-test to determine if your symptoms mention uh, match those of RSD. So again, this isn't its own disorder. It's dysphoria. It's one of the symptoms of ADHD. So RSD, rejection-sensitive dysphoria, is an intense emotional response caused by the perception that you have disappointed others in your life and that because of that disappointment, they have withdrawn their love, approval, or respect. The same painful reaction can occur when you fail or fall short of your rather high goals and expectations. This can plague both children and adults even when no actual rejection has taken place. It's difficult for people with ADHD to describe, but all who have it agree that it feels awful. Indeed, the term dysphoria is literally Greek for unbearable. Often those with RSD hide these intense emotional reactions from other people and feel ashamed of their vulnerability. The condition often triggers a profound and wide-reaching sense of failure as though the person with RSD hasn't measured up to personal or external expectations. So this is a test that you can take to see If you relate with 
RSD, rejection-sensitive dysphoria, which again is a common trait of ADHD. Your options are very often, often, sometimes rarely or never. Do you experience sudden intense bouts of rage when your feelings are hurt? Do you experience sudden intense bouts of extreme sadness when you think you have been rejected or criticized? Are you your own harshest critic? Do you feel anxious in social situations because you assume that no one likes you? Do you consider yourself a people pleaser going above and beyond to get on someone's good side? Do you pass up opportunities or start avoiding projects because you're afraid you'll fail? Have you been called overly sensitive or a head case because of your strong emotional reactions? Do you dedicate more time than is necessary to a project or become perfectionistic to make sure your work has no mistakes and is above reproach? Do you ever experience your emotions as physical sensation, as though you've been punched in the chest or physically wounded? Do you feel shame about the, quote, lack of control you have over your emotions? Before you were diagnosed with ADHD, were you told you might have a mood disorder, a borderline character disorder? Do you shy away from close friendships or romantic relationships because you worry that if people know the real you, they won't like you? Do you assume the worst in commonplace interactions, worrying you'll be fired every time your boss calls you into their office, for instance? Do you think that you cannot go on feeling this way? Do you avoid meeting new people or trying new things because your fear of rejection and criticism is so strong? So that was the RSD, rejection-sensitive dysphoria test. Okay, so now you've taken your ADHD tests, right? And you're thinking, yeah, I think I, think I might have this. Now what? You know, this is so exciting. I'm, I'm so glad that I think I have a diagnosis, but, but what do we do about this? Well, you can find an ADHD specialist and get, you know, an official diagnosis. Professionals who are trained in diagnosing ADHD will routinely screen for a comorbidity like a learning disability or a mood disorder or an autism spectrum disorder. If you are a parent of a child, you can ask a school psychologist or a guidance counselor for a referral. You can talk with your internist or your child's pediatrician, but start the conversation as saying, I've noticed these symptoms in myself or my child and I'd like evaluations. Do you know of someone who specializes in diagnosing ADHD? You can check with your insurance, obviously, um, if there are experts trained in diagnosing ADHD covered by your health insurance plan, then you will be able to look those up. You can call your local chapter of the National Alliance on Mental Illness, or CHADD, and ask for the names of people who specialize in ADHD. People are getting brain scans now. Um, and they do reveal that certain parts of the brain appear different in people who have ADHD than in people who don't. You don't need a brain scan, though, to be diagnosed with ADHD, and they're not the standard of care, but, and they're not a cost-effective way of spending your healthcare money, and they don't contribute much to the diagnosis, but some patients do love seeing a picture of their brain, and the scans can often help them own their diagnosis. Now, you want to learn how to manage your ADHD symptoms after you've been diagnosed, so you'd want to follow up 
and make sure to get therapy with a psychologist, therapist, ADHD coach, or another expert. You might want to get recommendations for ADHD medication if considered appropriate, and then scheduling follow-up appointments with the diagnosing physician or psychiatrist. There are common mistakes that people who get an ADHD diagnosis make. So a lot of times people will not take enough time to get a thorough evaluation. It can't always be done in a 15-minute visit. Rushed visits create the likelihood that you or your child will be misdiagnosed and that the doctor could miss a secondary diagnosis that may be important to treat. Diagnosing the symptoms, not the underlying problem. Physicians sometimes misdiagnose secondary symptoms as the person's primary problem without looking for coexisting ADHD. So in other words, you could have something that isn't ADHD that's a comorbidity, or you could have ADHD and your doctor thinks the symptoms you're talking about are, are some other things, which I think was my case. A physician may focus only on your mood dysregulation, which is a symptom intrinsic to ADHD, and they may make a mood disorder diagnosis that completely is a mistake and misses your other underlying ADHD symptoms. Another mistake people make is sticking with a doctor you don't like. If you don't feel a positive connection with your doctor, if they don't seem to respond to you as a person or they reprimand you for asking too many questions, you will not have confidence in their diagnosis and obviously treatment won't go well. So lastly, there are seven self-defeating behaviors that aggravate ADHD. And I talked about one of them trying to do everything yourself. The seven are poor nutrition. Uh, that was something I wanted to talk about earlier with the craving of the kind of sugary things at night or just something to stimulate my brain. A lot of times I wasn't having enough protein in the day. And, or it was like not enough protein closer to the end of the day so that it does something to how full you feel, but it also helps regulate your sugars. And so for me, it was making sure to eat more sugary things, even if it's just fruit, like at the beginning of the day, not towards the end of the day, where in a few hours, I'll have another craving for it. I don't personally get snacky or craving in the late morning or, or afternoon. For me, it's always after six. So I could have a bagel and like a glass of something sugary if I wanted to eat that way. And a few hours later, if it's daytime, probably not be that affected by it, but it's just something about like the end of the day really crashes me and I need stim. And that was another thing that where it got kind of confused with an emotional disorder is, you know, the therapist will ask you questions. Is, does this happen when you're alone? Yes. Oh, you have trouble being alone. It's like, I love being alone. It doesn't happen when I'm out with people after six, because I'm stimulated by conversation or the sensations, you know, maybe we're at a play or maybe we're walking around, and, you know, dopamine is being created, taking a walk with a friend, laughing with a friend, going to see a Broadway show, you know, whatever you're doing, eating. Sometimes I have trouble calming down and coming down from a fun night out. So I might really, really want to go to bed at 10 because I have to get up at 6 a.m. and I might get home by 10. And there's something that I have trouble transitioning from the fun I just had with all of these people. And it's not the thing of, I need to be around people all the time. I come home and I'm lonely. And so, you know, I'm, I, it's not that, but it can get confused with that, right? It's like, I really am intrinsically excited to be home by myself and to go to bed. But I need to give myself a buffer. I need a, 
a kind of a transition ritual to bring myself down and embrace the positive, excited energy that I have that I just had this great time, but I have to come down without crashing, right? I have to come home and not keep the stimulation up by deciding I'll do some writing or I'll watch a movie or, you know, I'll have one more drink or whatever it is. It's like you, you know that you want to actually go to bed, but you don't feel it yet because you're still kind of jacked up. Now, again, any normal person might feel that way, but with ADHD, it becomes a problem because it's like, it's like almost impossible to make yourself do a thing you actually want to do, which is go to bed and calm down. It's like hard. So, you know, I've had that misdiagnosed as not wanting to be alone. And I'm like, God, that doesn't ring true though. So poor nutrition and staying hydrated is a big part of helping with your ADHD. Another self-defeating behavior is too much screen time. Another self-defeating behavior is beating yourself up. Negative self-talk. Don't take yourself so seriously and track your successes. Another self-defeating behavior of ADHDers is psyching yourself out. You want to have all the answers before you take the first step towards something, but you don't need the full picture. Self-defeating behavior number five, multitasking. We often think that we're really good at multitasking, but it's a myth because we have to realize that we can't shift our attention from one item to the next back and forth during a multitask seamlessly. It is going to be a disaster. You need to focus on what I am doing now, what I'm not doing now. Important, but again, not what I'm doing now. These are things you have to say to yourself while you get the urge to multitask. Self-defeating behavior number six, trying to do it all yourself. Maybe you need help with a task, putting something together. Maybe you need to delegate something at work. Maybe you need to hire a part-time assistant just for one big project that you have. Whatever it is, a self-defeating behavior is doing it all yourself. And number seven, self-defeating behavior that ADHDers have is worrying. Remember, the past is gone. The future is not predictable. And listen to your inner dialogue. Monitor the negative self-talk. So I hope any of that was helpful. I know it's just a little bit of an extra primer from me. Again, everything I read to you, I got from attitudemag.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds, it was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billy's vocals. It was automatic art. You know, I had to like 
choose a more challenging route than just like da 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it gonna like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. There's plenty to celebrate in March and. Ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. I have a couple more emails to read that are not about ADHD. And before I do that, I also wanted to talk about an episode that we recorded that we never got to air because of a terrible, terrible sound issue that we didn't realize until we tried to edit the episode. And my guest for that episode is an author, writer, and photographer named Freya Benson. And she is a trans woman living in the UK, and she wrote a book called Anxiety for Trans People. And it's such a great, uh, the anxiety book for trans people, How to Conquer Your Dysphoria, Worry Less and Find Joy. And Freya and I did an interview together, God, almost probably could have been almost a year ago. And we banked a lot of episodes in advance. And when we came to editing this one, it was like, oh my God, the, we we were using Zoom still and she was way, way out um, in this kind of remote part and the connection wasn't great, but, and sometimes it would sort of make sounds, but I thought, oh, that'll sound fine. And, and it just didn't. It would have, it would have driven you completely mad because when both of us talked, there'd be this, and our editors did the best they could and they got it down to sounding pretty okay, but it was, it was, just really like the sound quality was just not there and you missed kind of every other word. It was maddening. And we tried to reschedule, but I had, by that point, I had an almost impossible schedule where I could only do like a certain morning hour in New York City and um, phrase in the UK and our days and times did not add up. But I told Freya that I wanted to still talk about our interview and what I loved about her book and just chatting to her was, again, as we've seen with anyone who's come on the show, whether they're talking about, you know, anxiety in women or anxiety in black population or anxiety in men or whatever, if you don't identify as, you know, a certain gender or if if this, you know, you're a different race than what the topic is that we're talking about, there's still something in it for everybody. And what I found cool about Freya's book that I don't see in a lot of books about anxiety was 
the goal, as stated in the title, how to conquer your dysphoria, worry less, and find joy, there was not so much talk ever finding joy. You know, usually a lot of anxiety help books kind of end with, and once you get all these problems wrapped up and you're able to look at things in a different way, you know, then you'll live your best life. And it's like, well, how do I do that? You know, and some of the solutions that Freya had for finding joy were simple things. And you, and again, I think people with anxiety do this all the time. We look at something that says, go outside in nature, turn on music and dance. Do you have an artistic ability that you maybe don't want to do for a living, but do you paint? Do you draw? Do you write? Do you sing? Is it something you can do around your home? And, you know, or simply go out with friends, anything. And you might look at that. I know for most anxious people, we do have a streak of perfectionism. So when someone says, you know, you're going to find the joy in your life, and then you look at a list of what brings joy, you think, well, that's not enough. I want the big joys. I want, you know, I don't know, to fall in the most love anyone's ever fallen in and have everything perfect and every day just be on a high. And it's like, that's not really what joy is. You know, that's like impossible situations and being high. But joy is you are able to kind of bounce around from thing to thing. You know, you go to work and you go home, but you find your joy in between. Do you pick flowers? Do you garden? Do you cook? Do you sing, dance, write? All that you you actually are able to participate in things that bring you joy without your anxiety and your worry stopping you. A lot of times our worry and our anxiety and our whatever our issue is, we want to just sit and focus on that, like, but not in the way that helps us overcome it. Like we feed it with worry or we feel unmotivated or we think it's going to take a lot more than, you know, gardening to get me out of this funk that I'm in. And usually it, you're not right about that. And so I liked that the goal was overcoming anxiety to find your joy. And usually the joy has already existed inside of you. It's not like now you've got to go figure out what makes you happy. It's like there's stuff that makes you happy. You're just not doing it because you're having all this anxiety. But there was also just interesting things for anyone in my audience who is trans or non-binary is, is Freya had a specific toolkit for managing anxiety as a trans or non-binary person, exploring specific triggers like coming out, gender dysphoria, voice anxiety, transphobia, validity, passing, gender expectations, you know, and, and just sort of what it's like. And for people to understand how to be a better ally, what it's like to go to a party with your cis friends if you're trans and just sitting there worrying how someone's going to react to you or what they'll say to you, you know? And it's not even a matter of, well, what if they beat you up? It's like, yes, that's the extreme example, but just unkind and uncouth and invasive and rude things that people say, you know, and just having to deal with that, having to do sometimes the emotional labor for other people at a party or having to tell your friends, you know, if this happens, please do that. I mean, a lot of times if you've got the right people in your life, you, they may kind of instinctively know, but you know, that's everyone's, I guess, decision on their own or feeling unsafe, you know, walking around in the world or walking home from said party where your cis friends may have a totally different experience walking home. And 
there were a lot of, what I liked about her book too, is there's a lot of practical things like, okay, I want to transition. I want to get a certain surgery. Okay. I can't afford it. Okay. Well, how do I take these next steps and, and live the next few years in a way that I think would not be exactly how I want to live, but how do I, how do I work on that anxiety? And so it was very specific. And then also I feel that you don't have to be trans transitioning or non-binary to get a lot out of this book as well. And so shout out to Frey Benson. I'm sorry that, that our audio was so challenging, but highly recommend the anxiety book for trans people, how to conquer your dysphoria, worry less, and find joy if that is something that speaks to you. I will put the link in the show notes as well. So here are just some last few emails from some listeners. And as you can see, I'm kind of stalling because I put my papers, <laughs> I put them behind something. Here we go. Okay. Jen, thank you for your podcast. It's really helping me learn and grow from anxiety. It's helped me accept the fact that anxiety never truly goes away, but with healthy coping skills, it's more manageable. Love listening from Jenny. Melanie says, just found the podcast and your interview with Judy Gold was amazing. I was bullied relentlessly as a kid and could relate to every word about how that trauma lives in the body. I have the same response to some of the taunts. If I hear them again, I just recoil and my body instantly reacts. I have a daughter with anxiety as well, and we work every day to help try to push through the triggers or the episodes. Thank you for such a great episode. I'm a new fan. And lastly, somebody wrote, Jen, how do I deal with a specific anxiety around bed bugs? Now, I have no idea, but I'll tell you one thing. I don't believe you need to find someone who specializes in a bed bug phobia, a bed bug obsession. I think you can do a few things. And I would recommend re-listening to two episodes that I think could be extremely helpful. First, the OCD episode that um, that we did. I was going to say a few weeks ago. It's actually gone. It's actually a couple months ago now. But if you listen to the episode thirty-two, it came out May eleventh with OCD specialist and therapist Kimberly Quinlan. The episode's called "The ABCs of OCD." Now. It doesn't mean you have OCD, but I do think in the realm of obsessive compulsive disorder, people even without OCD can be helped by uh, what she talks about is the exposure therapy of your own thoughts. So do you need to be exposed to bed bugs to get over this fear or worry that they're there when they're not? No. But for you, it's it seems more about exposing yourself to your thoughts. And so listen to that episode with that in mind about finding safe ways to expose yourself to your thoughts about bed bugs and when you worry and replacing those thoughts or you, you're going to need to do your own digging on this. But it's definitely going to be, you may never stop the thoughts about that coming into your head, but that's how people handle kind of an obsessive thought loop is you have to expose yourself to your thoughts and learn how to make them not so powerful. Then you may want to think about listening to 
the talk of positive psychology in my episode 41, Therapy for Gay Men, released July 12th, 2022. Psychiatrist Ken Howard talks about using positive psychology with his patients, and some of them have worries about things. You know, you're not saying, I'm worried a dragon is going to fall out of the sky. Um, that's never happened, but people have had bed bugs, right? And it, it could happen to you. There's nothing you can, there's no way to know, you know, it might happen. So I would recommend listening to that episode and, and zeroing in on the parts where Ken talks about dealing with some of his patients who have fears of things that exist in the world and thinking, okay, well, what would you do if that happened? Okay, and then what's the next, you know, taking yourself down the logical plan. You know, okay, well, I'd contact my doctor, I'd wash the sheets, you know, whatever you do with bed bugs. And then besides that, if you want to take kind of a more spiritual approach, you can think, this is something that was said to me once, you know, if I didn't, if I wasn't thinking and worrying about bed bugs, what what could I be thinking right now? And that's a two-pronged thing. It means, is there a real underlying problem in my life that I'm not looking at, but the bed bug obsession keeps me focused away from feeling the feelings of XYZ? Or is it, imagine the fun and creative and great things I could be thinking if I weren't so focused on this. Now, that is a tough thing to say to someone with actual OCD. So I'm not suggesting you use that little whimsical thought to overcome a real disorder that needs exposure and commitment therapy or acceptance and commitment therapy and exposure therapy. But it's just something to keep in mind. You know, thoughts are free. If you wanted to think that sometimes, who knows how that might help you or might not. But I would just suggest, you know, even if we don't have full-blown this or full-blown that, there's treatments within OCD. There's treatments within ADHD. There's treatments within, I don't know, whatever, panic disorder that can help all of us in these areas of life where we might have this one little thing that is just stuck for us. You know, there's nothing wrong with using some of the techniques and tricks and therapies prescribed to people that have a disorder that you don't have. There's always one or two symptoms here and there that you can relate with. So I hope that helps. And we'll see you next week. My guest will be Dr. Julie Smith. I won't have takeaways from this episode on my website because it was kind of all over the place. I usually don't with the solo episodes because I really don't like uh, saying, this is this other amazing thing I said. But again, highly uh, recommend checking out attitudemagazine.com. I'll put the link in the show notes to that and to other things I've mentioned in this episode. Thanks again for writing in and for listening. And we'll see you next week on the finale of Anxiety Bites. And remember, anxiety bites, but you're in control. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like when the tailgate party shows up at your house after the big win. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this could sideline your savings. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscore team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscore.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. At- 